You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Hey there, welcome to the Well-Fed Women podcast. This is episode number 319. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr of coconutsandkettlebells.com. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a National Strength and Conditioning Association certified personal trainer. Every time we ask for questions from all of you to shape future episodes, we always get questions about how to navigate making decisions that are right for your body without falling into the trap of food rules and restrictions and having a negative relationship with food in your body. It can be incredibly confusing. <laughs> and um, especially as women, we are bombarded with messaging from society and social media about how something is wrong with us and it needs to be fixed. And here's a special shiny restrictive diet to solve it. So to navigate all of this, I've invited an expert guest on today, Stephanie Webb. She's an intuitive eating and body confidence expert. And so we're going to unpack intuitive eating and food rules and body confidence and all that stuff in this episode. It's, it's going to be fun. Before I bring her on, if you haven't tried Flying Embers Hard Kombucha or, or Hard Seltzer, make this your upcoming summer drink of choice. Yes, summer is coming. I am very excited about it. I can guarantee you're going to love it just as much as I do. I always get asked the question of like, you know, do you drink and what do you drink? And truthfully, the answer is not much, but I do love me some Flying Embers hard kombucha and their hard seltzers. I actually found them a year ago at my local grocery store and the black cherry hard kombucha and the watermelon chili hard seltzer is now my favorite drink of choice. For my birthday, my husband got me a nice six-pack of the black cherry hard kombuchas, <laughs> which was which was fun. Um, Flying Embers is better for you alcohol that brews hard kombucha and probiotic-powered hard seltzer. So their products don't have any sugar, and they are USDA-certified uh, organic and brewed with live probiotic and adaptogens, and then they are all gluten-free, so they're allergen-friendly. What, what I've noticed is that when I want to drink at the end of the day, it gives me like a nice little light feeling. It's uplifting. You don't feel dizzy or out of it the next day, and there's no bloating like with beer, and of course, no sugar crash with things from like wine and cocktails. Their products are artfully crafted with a dry fermentation process, which gives the hard kombucha a perfectly balanced natural sweetness. It tastes amazing. Receive 15% off your order. I'm really actually excited about this. <laughs> We've already used this discount personally because it is such a great deal. They actually ship worldwide, so you can get all their hard kombucha on their website. They have all the hard seltzer flavors. So at your local grocery store, they won't have the biggest selection like they do on, on their website. So we've had fun trying and experimenting with new flavors. So it's flyingembers.com slash wellfed. It's flying and like the word flying um, and then embers, E-M-B-E-R-S dot com. Again, flying F-L-Y-I-N-G-E-M-B-E-R-S dot com forward slash well fed. Our discount is only available there. Again, it's 15% off. Just make sure the code well fed is applied at checkout. They do have free shipping with qualifying orders. So if you order a couple of variety packs, you'll get the discount and you'll get the free shipping. I'm really excited about this. And a lot of you guys have been sending me your pictures and your favorite flavors. And um, I love it. It's a fun little <laughs> fun little drink and a fun culture. So uh, flyingembers.com forward slash well fed. If you try some new flavors, let me know how it goes. You can DM me or um, post about it in our well-fed women holistic health community. Now let's bring on Stephanie. Stephanie Webb is a holistic nutritionist, eating psychology coach, and certified intuitive eating counselor who works with women to take the guilt and stress out of healthy living. Stephanie is the co-founder of Eat Confident Company, an online nutrition coaching practice, and also runs her own nutrition coaching practice to serve women on an 
individual level. She's the host of the Eat With Confidence podcast and loves spreading her message of food and body confidence to listeners all over the world. Stephanie has worked with hundreds of women in her online coaching practice and also teaches live in-person workshops. I actually personally follow her on Instagram and she is a wealth of knowledge. So I'm so excited to have her here. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you for uh, coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat. Yeah, I want to jump right in. I, You and I were talking before prepping for this podcast, and we have a lot of good questions and a lot of good topics to cover. So I want to I wanna get into it. And I know we're going to be talking about, you know, uh, our relationship with food and our bodies and how those two are connected. And a lot of times... Women know that they dislike their body, but they don't know why and they don't know what to do about it. So why do women struggle so much with body confidence and body image? Well, I think a lot of reasons, but I think the main one is the programming that we get from I mean, childhood, really infancy, even I think for all humans, but especially women, we're kind of taught, we're absolutely taught either explicitly or, you know, through subtle messaging from our culture, our families or whatever, that women's job is to be thin and beautiful. (laughs) And, And that's kind of a defining feature. Most women grow up wanting to strive for that. Appearance is very important in our culture, becomes a value for a lot of people. And as we grow up and bodies change, you know, maybe we have kids, maybe hitting puberty for some people causes a lot of changes. There's a lot of reasons why bodies change and don't maybe fit the culturally acceptable mold that we think we're supposed to fit. And that causes a lot of shame. And like you said, I think we don't often really dig into that. We don't get curious or figure out what's really going on. We just kind of walk around with this low-grade chronic shame about our bodies, whether it's our weight or our size or certain things about our appearance. And that tends to, you know, spiral and continue throughout throughout adulthood, throughout our entire lives for many people. And I think it's really important for people to know that there is another way, that that it's not easy, but it's absolutely possible for anyone in any body size to cultivate confidence and a more positive body image, that we don't just have to accept what we've been given, that there are options and there's work that you can do to feel better in and about your body. I, you know, I have, I just, uh, observing the culture change, especially with the introduction of social media, I, I'm, I want to, I want to know what you think. Like, I don't, like maybe six to seven years ago, we kind of had this revolution where Mm -hmm. more people were speaking out about, you know, body image and body confidence and health at every size and and Mm -hmm. being proud of like, you know, where you're at now and not needing to shrink yourself down to a smaller size. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, social media has exploded. So it almost feels like a drop in the bucket. In other words, it's like, oh, cool, this kind of new culture has started. And we've definitely seen that reflected somewhat in the media. But at the same time, and especially in the last year, Social media has exploded and the toxicity is still there. And it sometimes feels like it's just eating into everything. So do you feel like in the last, you know, couple of years, things have gotten, quote unquote, better? Or do you see more women struggling because they are engaging with social media more and more and kind of sub even if it's intentional or not, they're getting that messaging in their newsfeed that, wow, something's wrong with me. I need I need to fix it. Yeah, I think you're totally right. There is a conversation happening. I remember maybe like, was it 10 years ago when that Dove campaign came out of like, everyone is beautiful. I think that for me, that was the beginning of like, oh, there's a different kind of conversation happening. I think the problem with the conversation on body positivity and a lot of the media messages that like, you're beautiful, everyone is beautiful, is that it's still very externally focused. It's still focused on appearance. And there's a lot of pushback against health at every size because people think that it's glorifying quote unquote obesity. I don't love to use that word because it's stigmatizing language, but that's kind of the belief that's out there. So I think we have kind of this, like you said, toxicity, this toxic 
soup, I guess, of, you know, people are trying to be more body positive, but don't really know what that means or how to do that in, in the context of the culture that we live in. So it's like, most people feel like loving their body is completely unattainable. And it is unless you have skills and tools and know what to do. And I think intuitive eating is a great pathway into that to connecting with your body. But I do think it has in a way opened up a conversation, but also like you said, in a lot of ways gotten worse because there's more confusion. I think there's shame around dieting, but people don't know what else to do. There's still this pressure to be thin or to look, you know, muscular or whatever the the current aesthetic is. There's that pressure, but then also the shame behind putting too much emphasis on that. I mean, dieting is almost a bad word. Now diets are flipping the script from, well, this isn't a diet. It's a lifestyle, <laughs> right? I know. No one wants to say that they're dieting. And so yeah. I think people are just really confused and it's sad. It's sad to see that they're stuck in this place between like, well, I hate my body and I want to fix it, but I shouldn't and I don't know how to move forward. Yeah. Ooh, I think you just touched on a really important point there, which is this weird middle ground of like, okay, I want to do what's right for me and feel good. And but but am I doing am, am I wrong for wanting to make changes to my diet? And how do I do that in a way that still maintains my sanity and recognizes yeah. that I don't have to be beautiful or externally focused? I, I, I kind of chuckle at the like, everybody is beautiful because yes, everybody <laughs> is beautiful, but also like, now we're requiring everybody to be beautiful, right? Like right, we're, we're still right. focusing on beauty, on external beauty and not yeah, necessarily. And why, does it matter? Like, right. why, does, why do we have to be beautiful? Yeah. It doesn't, it's not a thing that we have to do. <laughs> right. Right. And who and whose judgment? It's just like, yeah. oh, OK. So anyway, how That's does true. I think you've brought a really interesting point, which is body image and body confidence so much is tied to or somehow always ends up impacting our relationship with food. So how does body image relate to how we interact with food or maybe how does our body image change our our personal relationship with food and even our ability to assess what's right for us and what's not yeah absolutely i think that it starts with body image it it we fight food because we fight our bodies we come to find that our bodies are unacceptable in some way and we play that out through this vehicle of food. And it becomes this battleground that if I could fix food, I could fix my body. And it's kind of this external bucket for dealing with the shame and the lack of control that we feel. And, and it is for good reason. I mean, we don't have a lot of control over our body's size or shape contrary to what we're taught in popular media. Everyone's kind of been brainwashed to think that you can look however you want if you work hard enough. And that's just not true. That's not, that's not science. And so I think we have this, this really troubled relationship with food, trying to fix our bodies. And so food for most women becomes this tumultuous back and forth, all or nothing, really stressful area. And it's not supposed to be that way. I mean, our bodies are so clearly wired for pleasure and satisfaction. And, but we're unable to access that when we're stuck in this place of fighting. And so I, I think it's counterintuitive to think that you could improve the way that you eat and the way you feel in your body by not stressing out so much about food and not worrying so much about food's effect on your weight. But that really is kind of the way forward. It seems backwards, but that's, that's what we have to do. We have to let go of this obsession about weight in order to find a peaceful relationship with food. Mm, and that's really terrifying for people. Yes, I, <laughs> absolutely. So I, if, if someone is, and I mean, even just speaking from personal experience, that was the scariest thing. And I say this all the time, but I have become the thing, the person that I never, I was so scared to become, yeah. which is this person that doesn't really care about what size my pants are or even fluctuations in weight. I don't care about that. And that's always demonized, you know, and I, I grew up fearing pregnancy and fear body changes because mm. I knew, oh my gosh, I'm not going to have this control. And what if I just quote unquote lose myself and losing myself it was like the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, it's like, I it. wow, I get to like live life and enjoy it now and not think about my day in terms of, you know, how many calories have I eaten and, and what exercise did I do? Like, ridic yeah. it's ridiculous. 
this. So um, it is. I, I love that you've had that experience. And I think most women do feel that fear of like, well, what's on the other side? Like if I let go and I just jump off this cliff, there's a lot of, you know, catastrophic thinking of like, well, I'm going to create all these health conditions. I'm going to completely lose control. I'm going to die. You know, we have all these crazy kind of illogical fears, but also that are fed by media and nutrition and wellness culture. And so, yeah, I'll totally validate that all day long. I was in the same place. I think it is terrifying at the thought of, well, if I loosen my grip on this, what's going to happen? But I think trust is at the heart of becoming an intuitive eater, of learning to connect with your body. You have to at least take one tiny millimeter of a baby step in the direction of trusting your body and letting your body do its job and, and just loosening your grip a little bit. Hmm. I think there's a lot of misconception that intuitive eating is literally throwing everything out and just <laughs> yeah. eating everything, even when it's yeah. against your own intuition and you know you're sensitive to food or whatever. But he's like, that doesn't work. It can't that that can't possibly work, which we'll right. dive into more in just a bit. But I, I talk to me about how intuitive eating is supposed to work and the difference between which is a really cool thing that you put on your um Eat with confidence Instagram, which is the difference between a dieter's mentality and a confident eater's mentality. Yes. So I think that you're totally right. There is this misconception that intuitive eating equals like chaos and just letting go of all self-care behaviors and nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, I get that question all the time and I'm kind of like, who told you that? Like who was sitting there saying, if you're an intuitive eater, you can never work out again. Can't drink water. And like, I'm just like, this is crazy, but it's really indicative of the way that we approach food, which is so black and white, all or nothing. So there's this belief that, well, if I'm leaving dieting, then logic would lead me to believe the only other option is complete chaos. And really, that's our experience with food. We're either black or white, all or nothing. We're all in the diet or we're all completely out of control. And intuitive eating is is letting go of both of those extremes and guiding you toward the middle ground, which is connection with your body. It is learning to take care of yourself. And that's really what the tools of intuitive eating are for, are to help you connect with yourself, to learn, to tune in to what you need. And yes, to improve your health, <laughs> to practice health promoting behaviors. I mean, the, the research on intuitive eating is mind blowing. It's amazing. It's improving cholesterol and diabetes. I mean, it does actually improve health conditions. And so these misconceptions out there, I think come from both the idea that it means being out of control, but also that a lot of people are using intuitive eating to sell weight loss. I mean, recently, <laughs> I don't know if I should bring this up, but Gwyneth Paltrow was in the media talking about intuitive fasting. And I was like, right. that's literally the opposite <laughs> of connecting with your body. If you're on time-restricted eating, that is not intuitive. That's still employing rules around around eating. So sorry, I'm I'm realizing I lost <laughs> the original question. I've just been going off. What what were you wanting to say? <laughs> perfect. So maybe, I mean, I, I do think people are famil familiar with intuitive eating, but what are those principles of intuitive eating? Because they're like, you just cleared up. There's a lot of misconceptions. And so now that we'll get to clearing them up in a second, but what are some of those foundational principles that we can build from with intuitive eating? Yeah. So in intuitive eating, there are 10 principles of intuitive eating. I don't know if, if people are familiar with those. And I actually would say, if you are curious about intuitive eating, don't start with Instagram. <laughs> don't start with Googling. I would go straight to the source because that's where the research, the science, the, the good information is. But the 10 principles of intuitive eating are rejecting the diet mentality, which again would mean not using intuitive eating as a diet or a weight loss program. And number two is honor your hunger. Number three is make peace with food. Number four is challenge the food police. Number five is discover the satisfaction factor. Number six is feel your fullness. Number seven is cope with your emotions with kindness. I love that one. Eight is respect your body. Again, like respect your body doesn't mean super chaos or being all over the place, which we'll <laughs> probably get to. Nine is movement. Feel the difference. So we're talking about exercise. And 10 is honor your health with gentle nutrition. 
Hmm. So why you said you loved, was it number six the most? Or what, yes, seven. Cope seven. with your emotions with kindness. Yeah, I think. And one thing that I have found in intuitive eating and working with clients, I, I think that we are so mean to ourselves. And this kind of comes from dieting. But I think a lot of people are in this place or come to this place at some point of like, I'm an emotional eater. I'm turning to food for comfort. And they feel a lot of shame around that. And so I love that intuitive eating isn't just about your physical well-being. It's about your mental and emotional well-being. That part of learning to connect with your body is coping with your emotions. And if food is your only coping mechanism, yeah, you're probably going to feel out of balance. You don't need to feel shame about that. But there's definitely things you could do to manage difficult emotions without only turning to food. And so I love that one so much because I think it's really almost like a revelation to people that, okay, there's no shame in using food as a coping mechanism. What else can I add to that? And using, you know, positive self-talk and self-compassion, which is another really well-researched, amazing tool for healing your relationship with food and your body, that there's so much you can do from a place of kindness. So we don't have to finger wag and shame ourselves into changing or being better. That never works. Guilt and shame are never going to lead you to the, to where you want to go either physically or emotionally. And so if we can start with kindness, it changes everything. It changes the whole process. I just want to take a moment to remind you to go ahead and put on your blue blocks glasses. In the last few weeks, there have been days where I don't realize I'm not wearing my blue light blocking glasses while looking at screens. And if I don't have them on while just doing normal stuff, like working on my computer, my phone, and then at night watching a show with the kids, I am a disaster. I have horrible eye strain, headaches, nausea, and trouble sleeping. This is because blue Blue light is incredibly stimulating and can negatively impact your circadian rhythms. In 2021, I firmly believe proactively filtering out blue light with Blue Block's computer and their Sleep Plus glasses is an absolute necessity. The Blue Block's computer glasses filter out all the harsh blue light we experience when looking at our screens. They're clear, they don't have a color. And then the Sleep Plus glasses block all blue and green light between 400 nanometers to 550 nanometers, which is the exact range that has been shown in clinical trials to disrupt melatonin and negatively impact our sleep. To get our special 15% discount, go to blueblocks.com slash wellfed. That's blueblocks, so B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com slash wellfed. And then our code is wellfed at checkout. These glasses are super high quality. They are comfortable and they are stylish. I don't mind wearing them all day. I don't even realize I'm wearing them. I actually have three pairs because I'm extra, but I, I wanted to spare in case I lost mine, which has actually happened and it was awful. They were actually stuck in the couch cushions. I love the look of the frames. And if you need help anything out, just come over to our Well-Fed Women Holistic Health community on Facebook and I can help. Again, that's blueblocks.com slash well-fed and then use our code well-fed for 15% off and you'll get free shipping worldwide. I, I don't, it's it's interesting to think about how mean we are to ourselves. And I think one of the times uh, where this became like, it was a light bulb moment for me was when I realized the things I was saying to myself mm, were yeah. things that I would never say to other people. And so sometimes you're just sitting there thinking, well, why am I being like, why do I have such a high standard or like these horrible standards, horribly high standards for myself or not even just like high standards, just like unrealistic, un unattainable? Why am I setting holding myself to this unattainable standard and yeah. thinking, even believing that there is some sort of like you could reach perfection, you know? Yeah. If I don't require that of anybody in my life, if I don't require that of my friends, if I don't if I don't care if my friends have a six six pack abs, if I don't care <laughs> if my husband has six pack abs, why am I trying so hard to achieve it? Who am I trying to please? Who are the people yeah. that I am trying to appeal to? And do I want to be friends with them anyway? Yeah. So that was like a huge light bulb moment for me, which was like, Whoever I'm trying to appease and 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 appeal to, 
I don't even really want to be friends with anyway, because if you're you're if I'm on your list, you're saying you need to make sure that you're tight on your diet and have six pack abs like goodbye. I don't want you in my life anyway. So it's really interesting when we stop and we assess. And you mentioned that earlier, which is like not many people actually stop and say, huh, where did this come? Where did these like limiting beliefs come from? Where where is all where did this where did I build, you know, this these beliefs from? And can I start to like unravel those and maybe flip the script so that I can actually be kind to myself and move forward having a positive relationship with my body. And like you said, one of the principles is respect. So let's talk about respect. I have some questions that I think would will fit this kind of nicely Um, because I one of the big questions that we have is, well, how can you throw everything out and pursue eating, you know, figuring out what works best for you and having no food rules when, in fact, you do have specific intolerances or digestive issues or whatever? So this one is from Adele. She says, how do you apply the principles of intuitive eating while having food allergies or intolerances or even living with someone who does? I find it difficult to actually have some things available to to me and deal with them because my husband is lactose intolerant. Yeah, I think this is a really common question of, okay, intuitive eating is telling me that I have to eat everything. (laughs) And it's not. It's not telling you that. You know, we have this this saying of all foods fit and people hear that and they think, well, if it's required that, you know, I'm celiac and I eat gluten to be an intuitive eater, I can't, I can't be an intuitive eater. And it's not at all saying that their intuitive eating is throwing out all of the rules and having you connect to your own body's needs. It's really individualizing what you do. So clearly someone with lactose intolerance, Great. Like there are, I mean, welcome to the amazing world of modern food that you can go to the grocery store and find anything you want, basically with no lactose or no dairy or no gluten. Like there's really, we're so lucky to live the way that we live that manufacturers are making products that, that can fit anyone's diet. I also want to put a side note in here is that I think part of wellness culture, which is almost this it's kind of like diet culture, but almost separate and maybe even more toxic, (laughs) I think has led a lot of us. And I will say me as a holistic nutritionist, I got a master's degree in holistic nutrition. I was very deep in the world of food elimination and um, all, all of those things. And I realize now there's so much fear mongering around, well, you shouldn't eat this. You shouldn't have grains. You shouldn't have dairy. You shouldn't have gluten. You shouldn't have sugar. All of these shoulds and these rules that make us really afraid of food. And it probably for a lot of people doesn't even come from maybe a place of wanting to control your weight, but just being terrified of what this food is going to do to your body. I mean, you watch documentaries, you read books, there's, there's no end of people out there scaring you away from non-organic foods. Or I mean, the list could go on. And I think when we're really approaching it from a place of fear, it's impossible to really feel what your body's telling you. So I would say, Don't worry so much about like, well, I can't eat this and I can't eat that. If you, if you really believe that, then do some experiments for yourself and, and leave wellness culture behind, but really just connect with your body. If you really feel like you are lactose intolerant, but you haven't been diagnosed, you've just been living in this fear of, oh, dairy makes me, you know, have more mucus or whatever we're told experiment. It's not going to kill you unless you legit have an allergy. And then please do not not go do this. (laughs) Don't take this as medical advice. But I think more often than not, it's not a true allergy. Most people, these intolerances are more mental than physical. And that's probably not going to be a very popular statement to make. Um, My business partner, Emily, actually herself was certified in these, you know, food tests and food sensitivity tests and has talked a lot about this. We have a podcast episode I can't remember the number. It's it's fairly like maybe back in the eighties, not not the years, but like the numbers. <laughs> to say wow, was <laughs> not that guessing in the eighties, <laughs> like eighty two or something. Yeah. Um. But that really, we don't need to be so afraid of food, and you have more room to experiment and play. And so I'd say, don't be afraid if it's if it's a partner. 
that's almost a whole other question that we don't need to let other people's food choices or needs or beliefs dictate what we do. And again, that's really a tenet of intuitive eating that you're tuning into your body. You're eating the way that works for you, not the way that works for someone else. And I think there's, you know, it's, let's say in a marriage or in a household, if one person is celiac and one person isn't, there's going to have to be some, some give and take. There's gonna have to be some conversations around that, but I would not recommend just rejecting intuitive eating out of hand because, well, if I can't eat everything, it doesn't work. It does work. It works for everyone. Intuitive eating is for everyone, whether they're diabetic, whether they're celiac, whether they whatever it is, because it's about taking care of your unique body, learning your unique physiology and learning how to eat well for yourself. We always talk about the mental component, of course, and you even mentioned it before too, that fear is such a big part of how people's literally literally their physiology interacts with food yeah so if people in the beginning of their you know journey of like okay i'm gonna drop some of these food rules that i've had which could Mm -hmm. be like you said anything i mean early on and when i was a practitioner and working one-on-one with clients i would frequently have clients who were like terrified to eat smoothies because they were liquid calories and not hard, you know, Mm because somebody had said, don't eat liquid calories on a podcast at one point, right? So I think even (laughs) mentally, we have these like crazy rules that kind of stick with us. So as we let go of some of these crazy rules, but we still have that existing fear, would Mm. you still recommend eating things even if we're fearful of them? And how do we go about dealing with the fear before we interact with that food so that maybe we're not still having this like stress reaction around a food when it's and it's not the food it's us it's our our mental like health totally such a good question I think there's a lot of things to do here and I think again with intuitive eating it doesn't have to feel chaotic or super crazy that there are strategies you can baby step your way to a place of intuitive eating from where you are you don't have to throw yourself right into the deep end so with food fears trigger foods, whether it's foods you really haven't been eating because you're really afraid of them or foods that you are eating and you're just feeling really guilty about it. I think a good first step is to write down all of the foods that make you nervous, anxious, that you've been told you shouldn't eat, that you maybe haven't actually been eating, and then triage them into categories of like really scary, moderately scary, and a little bit scary, and just pick one food. So let's say that you're really scared of um, flavored yogurt. That that was one for me, which sounds Mm. so dumb maybe to say that out loud, but but I would put flavored yogurt on my shopping list and buy it every week and add it to my meals and snacks. So I was, I was doing it in a way that I felt safe where I wasn't just like, I'm going to go to the store and buy everything on my list and binge and feel out of control. Like yeah, that's yeah. not fun for anyone. And that's going to drive you straight back to dieting, right? Cause that doesn't feel good. So being strategic and just making it so that you can challenge yourself a little bit, step outside of your comfort zone, but not in a way that you feel unsafe. And once you've gotten used to flavored yogurt, then maybe you move on to smoothies or you move on to cereal or you move on to oats or whatever it is that you're afraid of and working your way up to, you know, say ice cream or something that you really feel like, oh, this is such a bad food to prove to yourself that you can eat it, that you are okay. I think it's really important to gather data here, especially if you're coming from a place of, you know, maybe worrying that you have food intolerances, like write down your symptoms. Symptoms, I think you'll be surprised how much your body can handle. And I think for more, more people than not, it's not an issue of complete elimination of foods. It's finding your healthy tipping point. It's figuring out, okay, I maybe dairy doesn't sit with me if I have like 12 cups of dairy a day, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but maybe I could handle one and just finding where's that middle ground where I don't feel restricted. I don't feel stressed out around this food. I know that my body can handle a little bit and I'm learning what that is through experimenting. And I think doing it like, you know, challenging your feared foods in that strategic way feels a lot safer, feels a lot calmer and maybe just safer than, (laughs) than throwing yourself right in. And I think also you brought up a good point of when our body is in a stress response, 
it's not going to be a positive eating experience. And that's really the goal of what we talk about at Eat Confident all the time is creating positive eating experiences. That's how you build trust and confidence in your ability to feed yourself well. And so if you're going into an eating experience and you're like, okay, I'm going to sit down and I have to eat this entire container of yogurt in order to, that's not positive. That's not going to feel good. So bringing your body, like taking some deep breaths, maybe having some affirmations that I can trust my body. This is an experiment. It's not life or death. I'm not eating poison right now. I'm going to baby step my way there. I can handle this. I can do this. Positive self-talk, bringing yourself into relaxation so that it can be an experience of connection and curiosity instead of shame and judgment and fear. Mm, I love that. And essentially what you're doing is you're no longer giving power or elevating these foods over other foods. So you're not like just drawn to them and think about them 24 seven and, and like yes. think that somehow, yeah, that they hold all the power. They don't. I mean, honestly, like flavored lo- yogurt, it sounds crazy, but like it totally makes <laughs> sense. It does because it's always these, it's always these crazy things that we think are, you know, <laughs> somehow like oop that little thing makes it bad so i can only right. eat plain or like fat you know my thing when i was younger is like only the fat free cottage cheese yes, or whatever right totally. yeah so it's always these tiny little designations um which kind of drive us insane and then when we realize the this food doesn't need to be elevated it doesn't have any significant power a lot of the times we find that we don't even really like them in the first place or we do. And we just have, we just need like a spoonful. You know, I think, um, especially in the, in the paleo community, it's a lot of like nut butters and almond butters and dried fruit bars and, and people feel out of control around those, honestly, because a lot of women, which we can, we can talk about in a second are under eating at the same time. Right. So when you're not getting um, adequate calories, you're trying to cut your calories and you look at these foods that um, are paleo or fit your template or whatever that you're doing and they're but they have high calories which you likely need because you're under eating but you've demonized them because they're calorically dense like nut butters almond butter or whatever or um you know fruit and nut bars then those become the weird things that you elevate and end up binging on even though it doesn't really taste good because you're you're you you want that you're you've again told told yourself i can't i can't bring that in the house so talk to me about that too what when oh because one of these important questions that i really want to make sure that we touch on is the binging and the feeling out of control around a specific food most notably sweets so diana Mm -hmm. said diane says i struggle with binge eating on sweets i truly feel that i cannot just eat a small amount of a treat if i have one treat i want them all yet i don't want to deny myself from having sweets now and then i just can't seem to find a middle ground help. And I will be honest, Stephanie, this is like the most common question is like, how do I manage my life and and like respect, like, if I eat sweets, I don't feel good. But when I restrict them, then all I do is I want them and then I binge on them. So how do we manage our relationship with sugar and sweets if we know, yeah, I don't feel the best when I eat it, but then we restrict it and we binge on it? Yeah, this is such a good question. And one that I get all the time too, because again, sugar is one of these villainized foods. I think the first thing is to notice how you're talking to yourself about these foods. You know, in this question, this person said, I can't control myself. I can't remember the exact words. I should have mm-hmm. pulled it up in front of me, but I can't control myself around these foods. I think we become a self-fulfilling prophecy. So if you tell yourself, if I open this bag of chips or I open this bag of cookies, I'm going to eat the whole thing. Well, guess what? You're probably going to open it and then eat the whole mm-hmm. thing because that's exactly what you told yourself you were going to yeah. do. I think um, self-talk is so much more powerful than we think. So it really does start with, you know, again, all foods fit. I'm learning how to self-moderate around food that I don't have to put external rules on this of I can have this X number of times per week, or if I keep this and that. So I think coming from this place of I'm doing my best and I'm going to, I'm going to practice with this. I also think it's really important to 
differentiate. I think people throw around this word binge a lot, like way too much. And I think that a lot of what we might call a binge is not really a binge. So I think it's important to say it like it is and call things what they really are. Binge eating is an eating disorder and people do struggle with it. But I think we've started to use it of just like anytime I feel out of control around food, I'm binging. That's not a binge. Binging is eating a massive amount of food to the point that you can't stop until you're physically ill. And I've had clients come to me and say, I struggle with binge eating. You can Google online like a binge eating assessment and just see like, do I really struggle with this? If you do absolutely get help. But if you don't, don't call it a binge because again, you're going to become a self-fulfilling prophecy. I think it's so important that we that we speak positively to ourselves. So instead of saying, I can't control myself around this, if I bring this in the house, I'm going to eat it all. We have to give ourselves unconditional permission to eat. And again, being strategic about it, maybe food by food, one food at a time, um, but absolutely bringing it into your house in a way that you feel safe and adding it to meals and snacks. And this is where I think people, I don't want to say go wrong, but I guess maybe get hung up is okay, if I bring it in my house and I have permission to eat it, I'm just going to eat it all day long. I'm going to eat it until it's gone. That doesn't feel good. So I think being strategic about it of saying, okay, I'm going to bring it, let's say Oreos. Let's say I'm going to bring this because this was another food for me that I struggled with. So I'm going to bring these Oreos into my house and I'm going to put on my meal plan because meal planning is a great tool for intuitive eating, not buying a meal plan from someone else, but planning your own foods. <laughs> yeah, putting, right. Good, good distinction. Oreos on my meal plan. So I would say I'm going to have some Oreos with lunch and I'm going to have them with my snack and I'm going to have them with dinner, maybe even breakfast. And I'm going to make sure that my brain knows that I'm going to have access to these Oreos. There's an area of research that backs up this idea of unconditional permission to eat. It's called food habituation. You can Google it. It's fascinating that the more we see a food, the less our brain is going to fixate on it. The less we see a food, the more our brain is going to fixate on it. And so if we're like, I can't bring this in my house, I can't see it. If I see it, I'm going to eat it. Then when you see it, you're going to lose control. But if you can make sure that that food is just not a big deal, it's there. If you want it, you can have it in maybe some structured and safe ways, adding it with meals and snacks with other foods that you feel more level-headed around so that you're not just eating Oreos because you're going to have to eat a lot of Oreos to get enough calories for a meal. Um, and so thinking about it in that way of the way you talk about it and also the way you introduce it, that you can go slow. You can give yourself a little bit of structure, keep a food journal, experiment. You're not going to ruin anything. I think it's really important to just approach it as, as an experiment. Like I'm going to figure this out. I can totally figure this out. It's just going to take a little bit of work, a little bit of practice, some intention. And after a few weeks, I promise you, Oreos will not be a big deal anymore. I've had clients do this with root beer floats, licorice, Reese's cups. Like I've seen people make peace with all these things that they were like, I could never have this in my house and they have it in their house and it's totally not a big deal. And I just, I love seeing that. It's like my favorite part of my job is like, this really works. Food habituation works if you give it a chance. Yeah. I I really like what you said because there was another question which you perfectly answered, which was from Beverly. And she says, can you practice intuitive eating if you know you don't moderate food well? Intuitive eating is, is a process where you are learning to moderate because for so long we have been told how to moderate, right? We've been told mm -hmm. you cannot have this. You should only have a tablespoon of this. Mm -hmm. You should count out five almonds. And so now you are learning how to moderate you're not you're in and that gives you the freedom to be around foods and then say okay how much of this food makes me feel satisfied as yeah. opposed to you can only have this amount even if you're not satisfied so i like that idea of like okay wow we have to we we are learning to moderate, not necessarily in, moderate in, in a bad way, like, oh, everything in moderation. But like, <laughs> you know, m actually, what does the, the term mean? Which is like, how much do I need? 
and how much yeah. does it does does it well how much feels good right now um and that may change later by the way at another meal a different a portion or a different amount may feel right um so yeah. I, I love that do you have anything else to add sorry I'm- yeah i think no i i think an, an important addition to the word moderation is the word self at the beginning because i think again like you said it's become this like moderation in all things. Moderation has become another diet, <laughs> like portion control. And and so I feel like when we can think about in terms of self-moderation, I'm learning to self-moderate, not because someone else told me how many almonds I can eat or the serving size of the package says that I can eat three cookies, but because I am so connected to my body that my body will tell me how much, what, when, how much, all of those things feel good in that moment. And just like you said, it's a, it's a meal to meal situation here. It's not like, okay, if I have three Oreos this time, then I always have to have three because that's my new moderation. That's not at all what it is. It's not rigid. There's so much flexibility with self-moderation and it really is going to ebb and flow based on hormones and appetite. I mean, all sorts of things are going to influence how much food your body needs and what types of food sound good on any given day or any given meal. So practicing self-moderation, and I think it's tricky because we can't even really practice self-moderation. I feel like it's a natural outcome of unconditional permission to eat. It's almost like it's the result. It's not the goal. And so if you're aiming for moderation, it's going to turn into a diet. But if you're aiming for unconditional permission to eat, you're naturally going to have self-moderation. And I also think moderation, we can't think of it in this really like narrow window. We have to be willing to push the boundaries of what feels good. You might need to overshoot and undershoot, maybe overeat, undereat, figure out what what does feel good for me? What amount of food feels right of certain types of foods? Be willing to play with it. And that's how you figure out how to self-moderate. Hmm. Let's talk about oh, carbs, shall we? So this is from <laughs> this is from Bethany. She says, how can I tell the difference between, between wanting sugar versus needing more carbohydrate? Now, this is a really good question because I do think in a lot of times we are craving sugar or sometimes we we feel like we need a boost because let's say, for example, our kid was up all night, you know, coughing like mine was last night. And now all of a sudden we're like, caffeine and sugar. But how can we decipher between okay, I need sugar and or like my body wants sugar or I'm craving sugar, which may not necessarily be a need. And maybe you can even unpack that a little bit versus, wow, I'm I need more carbohydrate right now. Like I had a high intensity workout and I I need I need to throw down some potatoes. (laughs) Throw down. I like that. (laughs) Yeah, I think this is a really good question. And I think it comes from, again, what I'm hearing in this question is a fear of sugar. There's really this setting sugar aside on a pedestal of like there's carbs and then there's sugar. There's good carbs and bad carbs. And I think we have to be really careful when we talk about sugar that it's it is a carbohydrate <laughs> like it's not bad and i think we we because of diet culture we don't trust our cravings we really look at them with a lot of suspicion like mm, if i'm craving this then something's wrong with me uh, maybe i just need to drink a glass of water and distract myself But I think the beautiful thing about intuitive eating is that when you start to practice trusting your body and the signals your body gives you, and again, digging into the difference of, you know, a mental or a physical thing, which I'll get into in a second, but be willing to just try it. Um, I think also under eating is going to lead you to having more intense, more frequent cravings for Ooh, no say that again say that again for us <laughs> okay <laughs> under eating is going to absolutely lead you to crave more nutrient dense calorically dense foods quick energy like sugar so i think the first thing is to like let's trust our cravings maybe let's practice going with it but also step back and look big picture at your eating patterns What a lot of women find that I have worked with is that they're experiencing cravings in the afternoon and in the evenings. And almost 
99% of the time I can say they're not eating enough in the first half of the day. And I think we can we can go a long way by just eating consistently, regularly, and adequately. And when you're well-nourished and well-fed and satisfied at breakfast and lunch, you're not going to feel as out of control in the afternoon. I think there's a mindset piece here of like, let's just chill out about sugar. (laughs) We don't need to freak out anymore. And also, if you're not eating enough, it's going to lead you to to feeling a little bit more crazy around food. If you want to feel level-headed around sugar and around everything, eat enough, often enough. I think that's like the first starting point. I think usually women are looking at food of like, well, I'm probably eating too much. Why don't we start with the assumption that you're not eating enough? I think it's a safe assumption for yes. almost every woman. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and start eating breakfast. Start including snacks. Um, we have a download. We call this our flexible structure where we teach how often to eat and how many food groups to include. It's a free download we have. It's at eatconfident.co slash flexible flexible structure. And I'm just, I just have seen this work miracles. Like people are like, this is crazy. How much of a difference when you're not eating enough, you're not going to be able to address your real issues. I think eating, you know, consistently, regularly and adequately almost acts like windshield wipers where you can see what's left. Once I'm well fed and I'm well nourished, is there something else remaining that I need to look into? Nine times out of 10, no, you were just hungry. And we're interpreting this as like, oh my gosh, my body just wants more sugar. Your body's going to ask for something to eat when your appetite signals are thrown off. If you're not eating enough and you're hungry, your body's like, hello, she's not listening to me when I say I'm hungry. So now I'm just going to see this donut and like lose our mind. (laughs) So if we can just eat often enough, include sweet foods and satisfying foods in your regular meals and snacks, but make sure you're eating enough. I think that's like the foundation. It is. And that's why this podcast is called Well-Fed Women. I love it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's just like, like what we all should be. I our pedestal much. is like eat enough, you know, yes, and and yes. so, so for so long, we've been, you know, reduced to always trying to cut our calories and the day was mm-hmm. good if we were able to eat less. And it's totally screwed up our intuition, which is yes. why I think intuitive eating is so scary for women is like, well, I don't know what to think outside of I should be cutting my calories and eating less and I'm going to lose control. Yes. And you've so beautifully debunked that. And it, you know, this is about respect and learning and understanding and experimenting. Like if you're trying to have a hard, if you're having a a hard time deciphering between, hmm, do I, am I craving sugar or do I need, just need more carbs today? Just try one or the other and take notes, you know, and don't feel shame about that. And you're not going to ruin anything. You know, I think it's like, well, what if I get it wrong? Okay. That's part of normal eating. You can trust your body to make up for your quote unquote mistakes in eating. Mm -hmm. I don't think there really are mistakes, but we have to be willing to experiment in order to learn how to eat. Yeah. Okay. So this is a question that is a little, is, is common, but a little complicated. And I'd, I'd love to hear your perspective. So this is from Katrina. She says, I've, I've, I've actually hesitated asking this question for a while because I asked it in an intuitive eating group a while back and got a lot of crap for it. I did the letting go of food rules and letting myself eat all the things I had told myself that I couldn't or shouldn't have. In turn, I started wanting and craving foods that I wasn't even wanting before intuitive eating. I also ended up not working out a ton at that time, generally feeling like crap. I'm at the point where I'm tired of feeling like crap from my food choices and not working out. I realized I actually love working out, not because I hate my body, but because I genuinely like working out and the benefits it gives me mentally. I've also realized the foods that make me feel yuck and I don't want to consume them or really have them in the house. But I feel like by saying I'm only going to have a soda or eat out or have a sweet treat on family movie night or if I want to, if I want it, I'm giving myself food rules again. I don't know how to honor my body by feeding it well without choosing to only have certain foods, foods that I know don't serve me well, but I do crave occasionally. So are some food rules okay? Like if I say, I really don't want to have this soda right now because I know it'll make me feel bloated or I'll have a sugar craft, etc. So I'll save it for Saturday when we watch a movie 
if I think that's worth it, and then I'll drink it. If not, I won't drink it then either. Is that a food rule? Is this still dieting mentality to think like that? It's driving me batty. I've read all the books. I've taken the courses, and it's still something I don't understand. Maybe I'm overthinking it. (laughs) (laughs) I love this question. I love this person. I think (laughs) she's nailing it. Um, I, first of all, I want to say, I'm so sorry that she had this experience in an intuitive eating group of getting like shamed for asking this. I think this is part of the problem. And I, and I see this in the intuitive eating world that it's become again, this like all or nothing black or white thinking. And it's sad. Everyone is welcome in intuitive eating in whatever level or a way that you want to incorporate that. Um, so I feel sad and I want to apologize on behalf of the intuitive <laughs> eating community that, that you were made to feel that way because there's room for your questions here. I also think, um, this is such an interesting question about this concept of food rules and part of intuitive eating, a big part is, and, and in the book, they call it the food police. Um, but learning to let go of those food rules. I think a lot of times, and what I'm hearing in this question is like, well, what is a food rule? And and I love how she's talking through this. Like, okay, this is how I'm thinking about that. Is that a food rule? And that's actually really helpful <laughs> to be able to answer this because when you're thinking, when you're trying to identify your food rules, I think it's helpful to write them down. By the way, I'm, I'm a big fan of journaling. Clearly you've heard me mention that a few times. I think getting things on paper can be helpful. And once you've done that and she, she has, she's, she's typed this out. You can look at it as, is this all or nothing? Is this black or white? Does it make me feel anxious? Is it inflexible? Because food rules are that way. They're going to make you feel anxious. They're going to make you feel like if you don't do this or you do do this, you're going to do something wrong. They're very polarized, like all or nothing, always or never. And what I'm hearing in this question is that it's not a food rule. I think what this person is doing, Katrina, right? I think Mm -hmm. she's using her wise mind. She's connecting to her body. She's thinking through what would feel good in this moment? Not just what would taste good, but also what would feel good? What would serve me well? I think when we when we hear this term unconditional permission to eat, we think, well, that automatically means that every time there's a question of should I eat this or not, the answer always has to be yes or else I'm restricting. That's absolutely not the case. When you have unconditional permission to eat, you have permission to say yes or to say no from a place of compassion and love, not from rules. So what I'm hearing in her saying, I don't want to have this right now because it's going to make me feel all this way. I'm going to save it for this other time when I feel like it would be, it would fit better. That's not a food rule. That's great. She's not saying soda is bad and bad if I drink this. She's really stopping to assess how will this feel in my body? How will this make me feel right now? Does this feel like the wisest choice? No, it doesn't. And saying no does not equate to restriction every single time. The the process, the goal is to go through this process that she's going through of stopping and thinking and asking and getting curious. So I'm like, she's nailing it. This Mm -hmm. is intuitive eating. This is exactly what we need to do is question and ask questions and get curious. How would this feel? How would this taste? What sounds good in this moment? And go with it. And I think she's doing it exactly right. So like props to her. And I think diet mentality can creep in really easily. But if you're maintaining, you're prioritizing your body, like the way I want to feel good in my body and I'm going to choose foods that make me do that. If that's kind of your guiding star, I guess you're going to be fine. Again, you might miss the mark sometimes. I like to think of it as like a target, like a dartboard. And every time you eat, you're throwing darts. You're trying to aim for the middle. Sometimes you're going to be way off the board. Sometimes you're going to be close to the middle, out on the edge. But you're just going to keep practicing and keep aiming to figure out what that looks like. And I think this example with soda is great. Again, I want to reiterate, no one, well, I hope not, but I hope that no intuitive eating professional is ever saying you need to stop working out. You need to start drinking soda at every meal. You need to start eating sweets all day, every day. Like no one is saying that because that would be a food rule. So what we're saying, what I'm saying, hopefully what other intuitive eating professionals are saying as well is 
Connect, connect, connect with your body. Ask what your body wants, what you need, what would feel good, and do that. And again, you might get it wrong sometimes, and that's okay, but that's the that's the practice. Yeah, exercise feels good. Our bodies are designed to move. Exercise is one of the principles of intuitive eating. So absolutely exercise. Your body was designed to move. Your body was designed to feel good. So do the things that make you feel good and do them because they make you feel good, not because someone else told you you had to in order to check the box of being a healthy person. Yeah. I love that. And I love the idea of intuitive fitness as well. And kind of have yes. got on my soapbox about that because so, so many times, just like with food, women are told that they need to be working out, you know, X amount of hours and doing this intense workout and doing this type and you need to be running or whatever. And I think we totally lose touch with the fact that our bodies, like you said, were designed to move. And there are so many positive physiological benefits of movement. And like she said, it's great for my mental health. That's amazing. So but exercise can be so toxic to our mental health when we're forcing ourselves to do something because we think we should. So it's amazing that you were able to stop and say, okay, I don't like, I'm going to stop doing this. Maybe because, you know, you were experimenting with things and that was just what felt like you, you should do it at that moment. But now you can get back into an exercise routine and say, what does my body need today? Just like you do with food, mm-hmm. you can do that with fitness and say, okay, where where am I at? How's my back feeling? How's my knee feeling? Whatever it is, you know, can I, do I have time to be intense today? Or do I have that? Am I fatigued or am I not? How did I sleep last night? And then yeah. create your movement according to what your body needs actually in that moment. And of course, there's a time and a place for plans. And sometimes you may have a workout that you'd like, to, you know, you kind of want to get done but you're a little scared of it or whatever you know and that's fine too like pushing yeah. yourself is is part of the the thing too but hating what you're doing is should never be a part of a, a fitness plan and i love that you kind of have figured that out and now you can approach um fitness with an entirely new mentality yeah so, absolutely yeah. i love that as a last question this one's from meredith and this is uh, again an, a big question but also one that maybe we can touch on lightly. Um, she says, what are some of the first steps that one can take in learning to have body confidence? Most people talk about it, but give you no concrete ways to actually achieve it. <laughs> Sorry, yes. I know. It's like, we have three minutes. Can you handle this one? Um <laughs> Well, I will say this is kind of like our MO. I mean, confidence is, it's, it's so important to me. And in what I talk about, I'm going to just throw out a recommendation. Our podcast is called eat with confidence. We have specific episodes about how to develop body confidence. Can't remember the episodes. Just go scroll until you see the word confidence and then click play. (laughs) (laughs) There's lots of them. But I think one of the first things that I'll just throw out one tip, I guess here, since we're short on time is that I think Everything changes when you shift your focus from how you look to how you feel. And I think confidence is is so elusive to us because we think we have to look a certain way in order to deserve the right to be confident. Confidence is your birthright. Body confidence does not mean that you're out there like, look at me, everyone. I'm so gorgeous and thin and look at my thighs. Like that's not confidence. That's vanity. (laughs) Confidence is being able to not think about what you look like and to go about living your life with purpose and living out your values, allowing your body to be a vehicle to that. It's not about your body. Body confidence isn't about your appearance. It's about you being able to live in your body and live the life you were designed to live. So my main tip, and I think there's a lot that goes into how to do this, but is to shift your focus from how you look to how you feel. When you can focus on taking care of yourself, meeting your needs, anticipating your needs, you're going to feel more at home. You're going to feel more comfortable in your body. That is naturally going to lead to you feeling more confident. So when you start to think about confidence as an external value, go inside, <laughs> shift, bring your your mind down into your body. What does it feel like to live in your body? What does your body need? That is going to lead to more confidence. Mm, yeah. Confidence can't be conditional. 
you know, um, and I think that's for so many women, it is conditional on a, you know, well, well I'll finally be con- confident if and when I yeah. am, you know, this weight or this size or able to exactly. run this fast of a mile. And so being able to understand. And I think, too, one of the things that really helped me was understanding that I didn't really have to, like, love my body to be confident. Mm-hmm. I can actually look at my body and say, like, cool, it's a thing, but not have to be like, I just love you so much, body. Like, it's, right. it's really okay to be like, oh, man, got some cool stress marks there from from my kids. And like, <laughs> it is what it is. Like, I don't have yes. my worth, my happiness, my confidence is not tied to that. So yes. it can, it, we don't have, you don't even have to love your body to be confident in it. Right. And so, totally. Yeah, I love that. So where can people find more um, about you and what you're doing? I know you have an amazing podcast, with, which, um, yeah, talk to us more about that and, and what yeah. you're doing now. Yes. So, yeah, our confidence, our confidence, our podcast is called Eat With Confidence. And I love it. Um, I have my business partner, Emily Fonsbeck. She's a registered dietitian and eating disorder professional. She partners with me on the podcast about half the time. Um, And then we have a business together called Eat Confident Co. We have tons of free resources on our website that you can go download. We have a group coaching program that's called Eat Confident Collective. You can learn about that on our website if you're looking for, you know, programs, but we do have a lot of great free downloads. The podcast is a great free resource. We have a Patreon community where with like bonus episodes every month and a little bit of a deeper dive. So lots of resources. We're over on Instagram at eatconfident.co. That's our joint account. And then I personally am on Instagram at intuitive.eating.nutritionist. Very nice. That's how I found you, actually, I think. Oh, it was like great. searching intuitive eating um, and that you were like the first one to come up. I was like, great oh, idea there with your name. <laughs> you just nailed it. Yeah, it used to be my actual name, Stephanie. And that was like kind of boring. You know, people are like, why would I follow this girl? And now they're like, oh, this is what she does. <laughs> so it works. You know, I just Marketing. say right up front, this is what I do. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for answering the questions. And um, yeah, we'll have to have you back on, and and I have some already have some ideas of things that we can oh, do in the good. future. I've Maybe an Instagram it. live. Yeah, it'll be fun. So thank so you so great. much. Yes, thank you so much. It's been so good. All right. For more from me, you can go to coconutsandkettlebells.com. Make sure to join our Facebook group. It's the Well-Fed Women Holistic Health Community. And we talk about episodes. And we also, this is where I got all these just really incredible questions for today's episode. I love making our episodes about what you guys want to talk about. So if you want to get your question in, you can email us still, but you can also send us uh, a question in the Facebook group. So just search for it. I'll link to everything in the show notes um, that we talk about here and all of Stephanie's resources. Thank you guys. Thanks so much for being here. We will talk to you next week.